Lord, once again, we desire that you be glorified in all that we do, and particularly as we meet as a group, that you promise that you are amongst us, and we know that, and even sense that, and desire to, in one voice, not only uh, glorify your name, but to see a glimpse of you from your word, that we may understand a little bit of what you have prepared for us in terms of our reason for being here and our ministry to a lost world. We desire that we be lights in that lost world. So this morning we do desire to commit our time. If there be any hindrance that uh, we may put that aside, any sin, we may confess that, any distraction, we may be able to put it behind us, that we may concentrate on your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I want to get into the book of Romans again, and we've got lots of verses, mainly because we've gone over a lot of these concepts already, and Paul is reiterating, re-emphasizing, so I think we can go through them a little bit more rapidly. I don't know how many weeks we've already been in chapter 6, but my goal is to try to get to verse 10, but as you know, sometimes miracles don't happen. Also, I'm going to reiterate a little bit the, the need to live in who we are. That's the whole thrust of what Paul is getting at in Romans chapter 6. How do you live the Christian life? He doesn't say, well, there's five steps, one, two, three, four, five. Or he doesn't give you a list of these are the things you need to do, and this is a list that you need to avoid. He doesn't do that in chapter 6. What he does is he gives this simple concept is we are different people in Christ. And if we live in that identity of who we are, that is the essence of the Christian life. I'm going to show you another example. I've given you several examples of how we react or how we live out what we think in our minds. In other words, what we Envision to be reality, that's how we live. So if you keep before you the idea that we have a totally new identity in Christ, Terry's going to reinforce that next week, then that's going to affect how we live. And that's why in verse 11, which we won't get to today, he says, reckon this to be true. In other words, everything they said in the first 10 verses. Consider it, that's the word he uses in New Mark and Saturn, that this is true because it is reality. This is who we are in Christ. So we're dealing with issues relating to believers. Paul writing to the Christians at Rome who had the same problems that we have. I don't know if they had cell phones and iPads and that sort of thing, but they had the same human nature and faced the same pressures, same issues of life. So Because it's inspired, we know that it's written to us as well. So we've looked at the concept of justification, chapter 3, 21 through the end of chapter 5, and we're in the portion that deals with the Christian walk. Theologically, we describe that as sanctification. So we spend a whole, what, two sessions explaining what that means, and it simply means to be set apart for a particular purpose. In fact, the whole word group that we looked at, there's several words related to that. So that's chapter 6 through 8. There's three parts. We're on the first part, principles, chapter 6. 
When we complete that, we will look at uh, our tendency to try to live out the Christian life, and that's going to create problems in doing that. So using P as my alliteration here, we have principles, problems, but instead of these issues that we have, there is power available, and that's the focus of chapter 8. So that's a summary of the whole section. So we're looking at 6 through 14, this concept of identification with Christ. Paul uses the word baptism, so we spent two sessions on it, so that we don't think in our minds being dunked in a pool. We think of what Paul has in view in chapter 6, and we stayed dry when we were in chapter 6. We're looking at the explanation of this doctrine, first 10 verses. Paul raises the issue, first two verses, and then he lays out the issue, three through four, this uniting with Christ. And now we're kind of reiterating, he's explaining it in a little bit more detail, verses five through ten. We've already looked at five through seven. Actually, we ended in verse six last time. So we'll pick up there. And the focus there is crucifixion with Christ or co-crucifixion. The idea of being united to Christ in his resurrection. So he raises a question, asks a question, shall we continue to live in this old way of life now that we are justified, now that we have redemption, now that we are saved? Similar ideas here. And he gives an emphatic answer, by all means, no, or are you crazy? God forbid. Then in verse 3, he lays out the principle, this principle of united with Christ, baptized into Christ, united in his death, burial, and resurrection. So in verse 4, he gets to that, united in resurrection. That's the significance of the principle that's going to develop. It's not just uniting in his death, where that old way of life, a break has been made. But now there's a new option. We don't have to live that old life and there's resurrection power available. So that's the significance. And then beginning in 5.10, 4, kind of expanding. He's going to enter into a couple of conditional clauses. For if this is true that I just laid out, and it is because it's a first-class condition, which assumes the premise in Greek, So the premise is, in fact, reality is true, and you could say, since this is true, then this follows. And what he's going to explain is this co-crucifixion that brings about co-resurrection. So he's actually giving us a little glimpse of what he's going to expand when we get to chapter 8. And it's a long sentence to start off, 5 through 7, so we've already kind of analyzed it. Broke it down, saw the main clause. Main clause, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So everything that he's talking about in this sentence is leading us to the idea of uniting with his resurrection. We already saw that. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, and we have, you could say since we have been united with him, that's reality, that is true, that's our new identity. Then, certainly, there's the certainty of it, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Then we started verse 6, knowing this, and we'll pick up, give you a reminder of that 
in a moment. So kind of a summary of these five or six verses, five through ten. He's explaining and repeating the truths of six, two through four. He's also giving reasons why this newness of life is possible by re-emphasizing that same concept. Thirdly, what he's leading to is that there's power. The power of the resurrection is available to live the Christian life. These are basic. These are not complicated. But unfortunately, most believers are unfamiliar with Romans chapter 6 and this concept. So we saw, and I mentioned, he starts off with that first-class condition. You could even translate it, since this is true, this is going to follow. And it's in the future tense, the main clause there. We shall be, remember, future tense. This is a strong expectation based on this new reality. So... He's going to deal with living out the Christian life. We call that the sanctifying process. We start at the beginning of verse 6, knowing God's principles is key. That's the stress here. He's laying out doctrine. This is what we need to know. Verse 3, do you not know this concept? Verse 6, knowing this. And when we get to verse 9, what does it say again? Knowing that something else. So he's emphasizing knowing these concepts, these principles. This is why we study the word to give us that underlying foundation of knowledge. Because if we have that in our thinking and we are aware of not only who God is, but our new reality, it's going to affect how we live life. So it's important to start, and we've used that as one of our starting principles. So knowing God's principle. Knowing this, and this is where we left off, that our old self, now it's a little, it's not so clear here, but if you do kind of word studies on all of the words, I think you can come to a good conclusion here. The problem with this whole concept is We're emphasizing this idea of being dead to sin, dead to the old way of life. But then, on the other hand, I recognize, if I know, if I'm living in reality, I still have this tendency to sin. So how can this be true? And I think this is the key right here to distinguish between a couple of things here. Our new identity, being dead to sin, being dead to the old life, I think he makes that distinction right there in that little phrase. And if we study these words, and we will, we're going to concentrate on this today. When he says, our old self, I'm going to summarize it ahead of time, and then we'll look at some other passages that are related. I think that is kind of a broad concept, a broad term that encompasses all of the old way of life, okay? It's not a reference to the the distinction he's making. It's not a reference to the old nature. Two different things. The old self, if you can think of a circle, is a big, broad circle that encompasses everything that we were in Adam. Remember we started chapter 5 talking about that. All that we were in Adam, including death, etc. Within this big circle 
is the old nature, and that's what he's saying here. Our old self was crucified with him. Then later on we'll talk about in order that the body of sin, this physical body that has tendencies towards sin, is still there. That didn't die. The broader concept is that we have a break from that old way of life. But chapter 7 is going to explain in more detail the idea of still retaining the old nature. So let's see if we can develop that from... So old self and old nature, one is a subset of old nature. I see old nature as a subset of this broader... In fact, literally, our old man, Anthropos. In fact, I'm going to give you those in a moment. Paul says, free from the law of sin and death, not free from your own quality. Yeah. There's a difference. Yeah, from... Remember we emphasized imputation and all that's related to that in, in Adam, that has died. There's a break, separation, that's death, from Adam because now we have a new identity in Christ. But yet we still have this body that is still touched by sin, body of sin, that has a tendency to go back. And we used all the illustrations last time. The differences between the, the spiritual repercussions and the physical repercussions. Yeah, we're going to emphasize that some more. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So let's take a look at this concept of old self, or translated, you could translate it literally, old man. The broader concept, the Greek words, palias, I should have uh, transliterated it, P-A-L-A-I-O-S, in everyday usage has this idea of something that's just worn out, something that is no longer useful, something that is worthy of being thrown in the trash, discarded. Still there, but it has no power, has no energy, has nothing that uh, commends itself to anything positive. There's two words there, old and the common word anthropos that refers to mankind in general. Anthropos, mankind, or to a person. There's a different word that refers to maleness, or man in terms of his gender. The broader general term, anthropos, is a general term that includes women. You're not excluded here. Okay? So that's what, that's the literal words there. So, literally, old man, and in this context, with everything that we talked about in chapter 5 and everything up to this point, it includes all that we are in Adam. And it occurs, or at least kind of variations of this concept in Ephesians 4.22. Let's look them up. Somebody looked that one up. And Colossians 3.9. He's got each of those. We don't have our readers today. Oh, Dwayne, you want to do uh, Ephesians 4? And Dave's got Colossians 3, 3, 9. Read it loud, uh, Dwayne. 4, 22, Ephesians. As you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Now, actually, most of the translations translated as a command, and the reconstruction can be... Translated that way. So that's a legitimate translation. But 
In the Greek, it is actually an infinitive, so it can have some other usages. It can have the idea of this is reality, or this is true, or this has happened. doesn't necessarily mean a command per se. But did you notice the word old man in that version? Putting it off, which implies or gives you the idea that it's possible or that it's still there. Still there. Still or aspects of it are still there. So I see this this concept as the the uh, broader concept. And Colossians three nine is similar. David, I'm going to start at eight. Go ahead. But now you also put off these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, and those are examples of the old life, the old man, etc. And then in verse ten or nine, rather. Why not? to one another, seeing that we have put off the old man with his deeds, and ten, having put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image who created. Okay, there's two possibilities, two identities, two realities. The old man, everything that we were, in fact, I summarize it here, all that we were in Adam, it's without Christ, the unregenerate, unbelieving man, broader concept, all right, keep that in mind. So that's what we have in Romans chapter 6. We're in Romans chapter 6. There's an outline behind you if you want to follow. So we've been looking at these key terms. And some of them we've spent two weeks on. Sanctification, we spent three weeks on it. But we did a word study that spent one week that looked at that concept. Set apart for a purpose. It includes several other words as well. Holy being part of that word group. Something that is set apart. Death. In Romans 6 and many other passages in the New Testament, it's not the concept of ceasing to breathe. We're still breathing. Our hearts are still pumping. But yet in Adam we are dead. So I look at it in a comprehensive sense. that includes certainly the spiritual aspect. It includes not only the spiritual But every aspect of who we are in Adam, we are dead. We spent at least a couple of weeks on it. It includes the intellect, it includes the emotions, it includes the morality, it includes conscience, it includes all of who we are in Adam. It includes relationships. I showed you that from from Scripture. So death in this comprehensive sense of separation, that's what we have in Romans chapter 6. Spirit baptism, Paul doesn't add spirit baptism, but I do. That's the concept that we have in Romans 6. He's not talking about dunking. We spent two weeks on that one. The idea of uniting with Christ. And one of the examples we used, 1 Corinthians 10, where the children of Israel are united with who? So 1 Corinthians 10, remember that one? Baptized into Moses. They crossed the Red Sea and it was dry, no water. It's the Egyptians that got wet. So what does it mean they're baptized into Moses? They're united in all of the experiences of Moses as leader. Everything that Moses went through, the children of Israel went through, they walked through in dry land. They experienced all the wilderness experiences. That's the idea that we have here in Romans. This identification, this uniting with Christ. Life, much like death in Romans 6, is more comprehensive. Kind of trying to summarize the essence of what we have here. And it includes, obviously, spiritual life, but not 
future eternal life. It includes eternal life here and now. Life abundantly, as Jesus phrases it. And then now, old self, the old unregenerate life in Adam. So here's a new term that we'll add to our list here, at least in Romans 6. So, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order, there's a design, there's a purpose that God has, in order that our body of sin might be done away. Now, we have to be careful here as well. Because you will think, well, this body of sin still seems to be present. So what does the done away mean? We'll look at it. But let's take a look at this body of sin first. And I think in this context, Paul is making a distinction between the old self, the broad comprehensive concept, and the more narrow, what we generally refer to as old nature. Some theologians debate whether there's an old nature. I think most Biblical theologians have the concept that there's something that still remains, something there, whether you want to call it a tendency or or an outright nature, whatever you want to describe it. I generally use the word nature because that probably captures the essence of it. What I think he's capturing that in this body of sin. And again, we have two words there. Can you remember in this context when he uses sin, he's talking about also this broader concept in our relationship to Adam. So two words there, body of sin, and I think he has in mind this physical body that that includes the mind, you know, the non-material part, includes the will as well, that has this tendency towards sin. We might summarize that as the old nature. So I see the body of sin as the old nature. So let's take a closer look at that concept and see if we can narrow it down. There's several words. There's another one that occurs frequently here in Romans that I think is synonymous. In other words, it means the same thing, referring to this old nature. So even though we our new identity is we are separated and dead to sin, and all that we were in Adam, there's a separation, a break. But yet, there is still something that we tend to towards, we call that an old nature. So we have two natures. We'll talk about that. David? Uh, well, Adam didn't die. Adam and Eve didn't die in the garden. Oh, you missed our, you missed our session. But they did. <laughs> yeah, we went into great detail. They yes. Died, they died the nanosecond they partook the of the point fruit. Is that we still are clean. We're still under the curse of death. Yes. Not Outside of, of... Not under the penalty. Yeah, outside of Christ. Right. And even more than just the penalty. Right. Yeah, we went into a long explanation that they didn't stop breathing. Adam lived another 930 years. His heart still pumped. And yet he died, I think, the nanosecond that he partook in all this comprehensive sense. Yeah, we went into some detail. Connie? Would you say that it's kind of like um, our earthly default? I'm thinking of, um, yeah. was it Hosea and Gomer? where she thought she really needed the love he offered, and she probably really desired it, but her default was to be a prostitute. Her default was to go out and and keep sinning. Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of like us. I know that um, we have brain pathways that kind of get fixed. Right. And, and that's kind of our default. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, the old nature is the default if old we don't nature. actively walk in the spirit. 
Exactly. Okay. So body of sin, old nature, done away with, make powerless. I thought we were going to do some more here. I'll come back to that. We'll come back to the done away with. The idea is made powerless. We'll come back to that. Two natures. The old nature, body of sin. We have that again in 724. So we're going to see this a lot in chapter 7 because of the problems that we laid out there. But somebody look up Colossians 2. Who wants to do that one? Connie's got it. I'll let you do uh, the next one, Jacob. In fact, why don't you look up 1 Corinthians 2.14. And Jeremy, why don't you do 15, and I'll let Jacob do uh, 1 Corinthians 3 as well. You got it? 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah, yeah, do 15. You twitched, so you get... (laughs) I think that these are different phrases, different words that Scripture uses to describe old nature. And then the broader concept is this old anthropos, alias anthropos, this old man. Making sense? Okay, let's see, I'll do 724 since I got it open here. 724, wretched man that I am. This is after he goes through chapter 7 and he's trying to live the Christian life. What I want to do, I can't do. The very thing I hate, I do. There's this battle going on, and I end up this wretched man. That's the old nature. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of this death? Everything in me is dying. And he's not talking about his heart failing or his breathing hindered. He's talking about in this comprehensive sense. My mind doesn't function the way it should. I can't control my emotions. My relationships are broken. All of these aspects, wretched man that I am, when I try to live in my own power, is the essence of chapter 7. Okay, Colossians 2.11. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. The sins of the body, how does he say that again, phrase? Putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. Okay, two words there actually, the body of the sins of the flesh. In other words, what comes out of the flesh, or the body in terms of our physical person. Body of sin, natural man, Jacob, uh, two, or 1 Corinthians 2.14. Start with... About 12. Okay. Uh, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may know the things that are given to us by God. So he's, he's making a contrast here between who we are in Christ. Keep reading. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit. Okay, human wisdom, that's the natural man. Keep reading, because he's going to use that word. Combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually afraid. Okay, the natural man refers to the unbeliever, so it kind of crosses both lines, I think. It includes the unbeliever that does not have the Spirit of God, but it's also the essence of the old nature. All right? 1544, Jeremy. So, so under these 342, it says, 
so also is the resurrection of the dead. So that's what it's talking about here. And then in 44 it says, It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spirit. Natural man. Contrast there. And then the word that is more common is flesh. And when we come to it in the text, I'll give you a broader word study, but let's summarize it here. 714, well, I won't even read that one. You can look that one up. Jacob, you got 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4. Yes. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. For you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am Paul, and another, I am Apollos, are you not mere men? Yeah, mere men. And he's addressing believers that have the capacity to live as the unbeliever. Mere men. That's the flesh. And then we have indwelling sin, 7.14 through 18. For we know, there's that little phrase again, we know, in other words, these are biblical doctrines, concepts. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh. That's the whole theme of chapter 7. For that which I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing, this is what I summarized earlier, I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law confessing that it is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it. It is sin which indwells me, indwells the flesh, indwells the body of sin that is still there. So that's the issue that we have to deal with. Verse 20 is similar. And we've talked a lot about the new nature. In fact, who read Ephesians 4? Dwayne, I think, so we already read that passage. Jacob read most of 1 Corinthians 2, 15 through 3, 4, actually, but 3, 1 there, speaking of this new nature, the contrast between the two. Got it? So this is what Paul is saying here. We are dead to that old life, and yet at the same time we have a body that has the tendency to go back. And we'll develop that more as we get further into the passage. So our body of sin might be done away with, I guess I was going to comment on that earlier, but the idea of annulling something or making something powerless is doing away with it. It's not eradicating. The body of sin is not eradicated until resurrection. But it's made ineffective or powerless in Christ. Even though our default is to go back to it because of habit, it's more comfortable, We're more used to it, and walking in the Spirit is unfamiliar. So that we we would no longer be slaves to sin. Even as a believer, we can go back to that condition of slavery. The unbeliever has no option. He's a slave to sin. Even in his best efforts, even as filthy rags, it's tainted by, by sin. David? So what, do you, what would you think that Paul's referring to when he says he's giving these folks at 
Corinth the sincere milk of the word rather than because they're in deadness. So what is it? <coughs> the sincere milk of the word. Then? The is basics of Christianity, the gospel, the gospel, the, the basics, the gospel message. Not this. This is the meat. This is basic. It is. How come people don't get it? <laughs> because of the flesh. Because of the body of sin. Because of the indwelling sin. That's what he's referring to. He says right here, you can't bear this. Yeah. So I have to give you the sincere milk. And he's given it to him. In other words, I'm giving you the yeah. basics now because you are off. So that we would no longer be bound or slaves to sin. Well, it's too simple. The unbeliever, the gospel is simple. He's talking to believers here. Yeah, no, no. I don't even care this. Yeah, I'm I'm saying when you're in the flesh, you're living like the unbeliever. And the simple things of scripture pass over their head. The old nature is the old self. The old self is the broader concept in this context. Yeah. The body of sin is that that remains from that old self. What goes? What doesn't remain? Well, there's a break. What remains is that tendency, at least, or that nature. But it's the unbeliever is a slave and cannot do anything other than remain that. There's been a break, is what Paul is saying here, and we have now a new identity or a new nature, you might even say. New possibility, kind of. That idea of slavery, um, and Lincoln was asking what changes, our master changes. We've been, we've, we've gone out from under the master of sin, uh, to under Christ. Yep. But we still tend to think like, well, back at the old house, we used to do it this way. Back at the old house, we used to do it this way. Mm-hmm. You're working, we're, we're, we're living for a new master, but we're, we're used to doing things the way we are in the old house. And we renew our thinking. Ephesians 4.23. Like guerrilla warfare, too. Yep. Like it's, yeah, yeah, I get it. Yep, you get it? Thank you. Okay, we can go along. Linda got it. <laughs> so if the rest of you didn't get it, you need to go to Linda. No, I mean... Okay, two natures. I want to understand what Linda was saying about gorilla. Like it actually comes after you instead of just being there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sin. Okay, two natures. Old nature, we can use that phrase to describe it broadly. Filthy rags, in other words, every effort that we make, by the way, literally menstrual rags in Isaiah, unrighteous, unrighteous deeds, unrighteous status, wrong standing or no standing, actually, in bondage, in bondage. The flesh is in, that is a condition of bondage. But this is the old nature or the old self? This is kind of a description of the old self. Old nature as well. Okay. Yep. Sin. Wow. Deadness. Deadness. But that's the old identity that includes the old nature, the old self, the old nature part of who we still are. But we're going to get this when we get to verse 11 where he talks about the word reckon. That's an accounting term, so I'm going to use an accounting image. God has opened a bank account that has made us rich. It's as if we have two bank accounts. One of them is bankrupt, 
God is not going to fill that bankrupt account with money. He gives us a new account that is safe in him. That's why I'm using that imagery. And Ephesians says we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. And the key is drawing from that account. And in verse 11, reckoning that it is true or counting it as if it is true, living as it is true. And then verse 7, for he who has died is freed from sin. The word there is dikaiasune, or the verb form dikaios. And remember, has the idea of justified in relationship to sin here. It can be translated freed, but in this context, remember we're talking about a real freedom, but yet we have a tendency to go back to bondage. For he who has died is free from sin. So another principle that we've kind of come to here and developed, victory over sin is possible, and we might even add only in Christ. That's the thrust of this whole passage. And we reckon it to be true, verse 11. And we won't have time to develop this, so we're going to quit a little early today. 5 through 7 emphasizes the co-crucifixion. 6, 8 through 10 emphasizes the resurrection with Christ. So he's going to go back over that because that's where the power to live the Christian life resides. And I'll start here next time. I just want to get to a video just to kind of emphasize all of this in a moment here. I want you to see the parallels in the text because he's basically reiterating the same truths, emphasizing different aspects of it. But notice how their 5 through 7 is parallel. We have a conditional clause that starts verse 7. Conditional clause starts verse 8. Death have died in verse 8 shall live, and then he says, likeness of resurrection, see the parallels, and then six, knowing this, verse nine, knowing that, see all the parallels there, and we can run through, Uh, we'll start with that next time, I want to show you a neat little video, now if we have died with Christ, the if is first class, so how could you translate that? Since this is true, this is reality, he's laying out truths here, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that, and I've been emphasizing throughout, he is emphasizing this idea, these are reality, these are truth, this is what we need to focus on, and that's going to result in action. And I've given you illustrations, let me kind of set this up, an illustration that Even if we are thinking of non-reality, even if we are believing something that is not true, we have a tendency to act on it. We live the Christian life sometimes as if these things aren't true, as if there's no break, as if we are still in Adam. But there's been a break there. And I don't know if I can get this to work. Let me see. Here's an example, kind of a funny one. So you have to laugh. (laughs) Preparing laughter. Where a woman acts on what she thinks is reality, but is not. Oh, wow. 
She's acting out what she thinks is reality, even though it is not reality. That's how we live. Could you do that again? You like that, huh? I might need to do this. You want to learn something from this, huh? He crowds in front of her. She gets him. He's too close. Next week we'll talk about the knowing that we have here. It's a different word, so there's a little slightly different emphasis. We'll get to that next time. But closing thought here, resurrection power works only in the new nature. God doesn't revive the old. He doesn't uh, empower the old. He doesn't reform that old nature. We're to let it die. He only works and empowers the new nature. Terry's going to introduce our guests that are going to share a little bit of their ministry. And feel free to support them or at least pray for them. We could have prayed this morning. We forgot to normally pray for missionaries. Terry, do you want to just introduce her? Um, Andrew and Lauren Leon, they're, they just graduated from Mexico State. New Mexico State. State. Yes. Yeah. And um, they're going to tell you a little bit about their new ministry. Only we can. They're starting out on the Colorado State. And um, Andrew, actually, as you might be familiar with, his sister is Kristen Leon yeah. at Rivers of Mercy. Kristen and her husband were Rivers of Mercy, which Mary and Frank Warren Oh, okay. Awesome. So anyway, so go just go ahead and just tell share the ministry. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, so like you said, uh, my name is Andrew, this is my wife Lauren. Um, I'm originally from Rio Rancho. Um, she's from Hobbs, New Mexico, and we met at New Mexico State in college, and we actually met through this ministry called Crew. Um, it's formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ, which many of you may know it from that. But anyways, we um, we met there and just um, grew a passion for the ministry. And so this past summer, we joined full-time staff with Crew as, as full-time missionaries in the college campus. And um, we got a placement up at Colorado State University. Um, and so that's where we'll be working full-time. Um, Don't let that hinder your support. By the way, the locals beat Colorado State. Even though we wipe them out in the women's. Yeah, yeah so even though Colorado State's such a big school, their sports are just not great. So. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and then we have a we have a one year old daughter. She's at she's at home right now taking a nap. With Yeah, and so we, um, like Andrew said, we were in this involved with crew um, when we were in college, and we just see college students as a really strategic and also important group to reach with the gospel. A lot of them are leaving home for the first time and. They're coming into this new place as vulnerable freshmen, and they're just looking for things to get involved in, but they also leave the home with all of these big questions, thinking about, who am I going to be, and what am I going to believe in for myself? Am I going to take what I grew up with from my parents, or will I do something new? And there's just a lot of influences when they come to college, professors, friends, just these new ideas, and so... 
Um, we just want to be there to influence them with the gospel and with the truth and the message of Christ. And um, college students are also our future leaders. And so they're going to be the ones um, owning businesses, raising families. And um, so we just really want to impact them when they're at this pivotal, pivotal point of their lives. And so crew has a vision that we use to help reach college students with the gospel. And that's that we want to win students to Christ. We want to build them up in their faith. And then we want to send them out to keep sharing the gospel with others. And so I'm just going to share a quick story of a student whose life that I saw change through crew. And so um, it's about a girl named Hannah. And so I met Hannah two years ago when she was entering college as a freshman. And she came to a back-to-school pizza bash that we were having because college students love free food. And um, anyway, she showed up, and we just started talking. We just had a really good conversation. And I asked her if she wanted to get together the next week just to keep getting to know each other. And she said yes. And so we met up, and I just asked her some questions about her life. And she told me that she had grown up in a Christian family, and she had grown up in the church. But in high school, she had gotten involved with a friend group that wasn't walking with the Lord, and they had just really swayed her. And so when I met her, she told me that she wouldn't claim to be a Christian, and she was just really wrestling with if she even believed in God or not. And so I asked her if she wanted to meet every week just to talk about some of this stuff. I wanted to know what she did believe and what her doubts were. She said yes. I was kind of surprised, but we met up every week for her first semester of college, and we had a lot of hard conversations. She would just share what she was struggling with, and we would work through some of it, and wasn't always easy. Um, but then over time, she started to ask me questions about my faith and wanting to know why I was a Christian and why I believed in Jesus. And so that was really exciting to see her thinking about these things. And um, about halfway through the semester, she started coming to a freshman Bible study that I was leading. And she came faithfully every week, but she never said anything. She just came and listened and then left right away. Um, but a couple of girls in the study started reaching out to her, and so she started to get some friends, and then she started coming to some worship services that we had, and a couple of retreats that we had she came on. And so she was around Christian, she was hearing the gospel, um, and then winter break passed, and we got together after the break. And I was just asking her how it was, and she told me that over the break, she had placed her faith in Christ. And she had decided that she wanted to follow Jesus, not because her parents or me or her friends were telling her to, but she just genuinely believed that this was the truth. And I just saw transformation take place right in front of my eyes. I knew that God had worked in her heart and um, produced this faith in her. And so um, for the next year and a half, I got to disciple Hannah and just teach her what it looks like to be a follower of Christ and have a daily relationship with him. And since then, she's gone on two summer missions with crew she went to San Diego and also Cotabar, West Africa, where she got to share her faith with Muslim students. She's also discipled a couple of younger girls in crew, and this year she's been leading a Bible study at New Mexico State. Um, and so I just love sharing that story because Hannah's life is just not the same that it was two years ago, and she's just a really great picture of the vision of win, build, and send. Now she's making disciples and sharing the gospel. Um, and so we just want to see these students become faithful followers of Jesus for their whole lifetime. Yeah. And I'll actually, I'll share a quick story of a student that I also saw his life changed in, in the ministry. And so I was uh, walking through a parking lot on campus uh, one night and I saw this <laughs> truck parked and it was similar to one that I owned at the time. And I thought it looked really cool. And so I got a, a note out of my backpack and I said, 
hey, I love your truck. I'd love to hang out sometime. And I put my phone number. And uh, I didn't even know if it was a guy or a girl. I had no clue. And so that night, um, this this person texted me and said, hey, I got your note. I'd love to hang out. And it ended up being this kid named Nick. And so um, about a week or two later, we uh, got together, got to know each other, became uh, friends. And I asked him if he grew up with a spiritual background at all. And he said that he had grown up in the church and even went to a Christian school, but for the past year or so, he just had not been in any sort of Christian community or anything like that. And he wanted to get involved, and so I told him, this was while I was involved with Crew, I said, I, I'm leading this men's Bible study with this ministry called Crew, I'd love for you to come, it's, you can get plugged into the ministry, and he was really excited about it, and so I left, um, excited for him to come. And so during that whole fall semester, I invited him to my Bible study every week. And he never came. And so I was left um, just discouraged and, and sad and wondering why, but there's nothing I could do about it. And so the end of the semester rolls by, and I'm, I'm in the process of inviting guys that had been involved in our ministry to a conference that we had every winter break in Denver. And I, I thought of Nick, and I thought, hey, no, he's never come to anything, but I'm going to call him and invite him to this conference. It's just a long shot. And so... I called him, and he answered, and I was shocked by that already. And then and then um, I, I explained the conference, and he was like, yeah, I mean, I would love to go. How can I do that? And so I was just left like, oh, my gosh, she wants to come. And then so he ended up coming with us to this conference. He'd never been to anything um, with crew, and um, he became friends with the students uh, very quickly, and he had a great week. And during the last night of the conference, um, our group of students that came from New Mexico State um, we're just sitting together sharing what they've learned and what they wanted to take back um, to school. And a few students had shared, and then Nick began to share. And right away, I could tell something was just really heavy on his heart. And he began to cry, and he shared that the five days that he was at that conference was the longest he'd been sober in over six months. Um, and you could just tell that he was in a tremendous amount of pain and sadness and, and probably shame. And it and at that point, it kind of made sense to me why he probably never wanted to come to my Bible study. And I was I was shocked, too. I did not know that about him, and I was sad. But at the same time, there was a part of me that was so hopeful and proud of him for sharing that, that he didn't want that to be a part of his life anymore. He wanted to follow Christ. He wanted to be around other believers in that room like he was. And so when we went back to school, I met with him every week, and um, taught him what it looked like to have a relationship with the Lord. I kept him accountable. Um, I lived life with him, and I just was able to see him grow and want to follow the Lord. And a couple months ago, I texted him to see how he's doing, and he shared that he's never been better before and involved in a local church. Um, so it's just a neat story of how something started so little and randomly. And over the course of a year, the Lord just impacted a student's life. And so it's, it's stories like Hannah and Nick that we... We get to see in college ministry, we get to see these students come to know the Lord, to grow in their faith. But at the same time, college ministry is hard, and we don't see that all the time. But we do see the significance of these students, the significance of the, the time of life they're in, and them hearing the gospel and coming to them. We, just, we have a passion for that. We have a passion for students hearing the gospel um, and their lives changing. And so we are, um, we're just thankful to be here this morning to to share a little bit about our ministry with crew. And um, so we've been in town for the past couple of months. And um, while we're, we're, we're going to continue staying here, um, we're raising the prayerful and financial support to fund our ministry. And so 
we are actually a little over 90% of our monthly support. And so, yeah, it's all the glory of the Lord. He's provided so abundantly for us, and we've just been uh, so blessed in that way. So it just, I mean, it'll take just a few more people to uh, to join our team and come alongside with us, and we can move up to Fort Collins and start working with students. And so um, we would love to, for um, each and every one of you guys to consider um, meeting with us to hear a little bit more about our ministry. We, we can share more about how we reach these students and invite you guys to be a part of it. And, um, we understand that there's, we don't, we're not forcing you to do this. There's no obligation, but we really hope that you give us this chance to meet with you and to share about our ministry so that you could potentially be a part of it. And so, um, I'm going to pass around this clipboard and if you would just um, put your name and phone number, if you would want to hear more and then encouraged to be a part of the ministry. So, great. That's so all we have. So, good. Yeah. Thank you. So, Matt. I want to encourage you. Um, I, I became a Christian for Texas for sake here in Welcome. We met. Um, and it just formed the tenets of my faith. Everything that Grace talked about, because he was there, he, um, is just right on to the teaching that we had on campus by other leaders. And uh, raised our girls up as Christian and their babies now, their grandkids. I'm so be encouraged. I mean, it's far reaching. Yeah. I'm glad of the name change. I think that's really relevant to the new generation. Yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. you. That's really neat Great. Most of you know that I became a believer not through Betty? crew. Hmm? Through Betty. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Betty. I put up with her. Yeah. Similar circumstance, similar organization at UNM as well. So it's a great Christian school. Consider it. Terry, do you want to close for us today? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for your word and how we just the grace that you provided to us through the word and help us, Lord, to Renew our minds on a daily basis, Lord, so that we can live in our new nature and live in our new identity and that we grow and, and trust in you each and every day. Lord, we pray for Andrew and, and Lauren and we just pray for their ministry and we pray that you be with them and uh, help them to, find, to finalize their support and also to bless their ministry that they may reach students um, for you and to change hearts and lives. Just be with them. We love you and praise you and thank you. Jesus, we Amen. Amen.